Welcome back to Transformative Teaching, a facet at IU podcast. I'm Katie Metz. I'm Michael Maroney. Thank you so much for joining us for our first, actually our second, I was the first, IU Bloomington guest. Would you like to introduce oh, her, Michael? Yeah. Virginia Ojas Carbonell. How'd I say that? Oh, wow. That yeah. was really good. Yeah. I'm impressed. Yeah. That was better than my better than my high school Spanish. So Virginia is uh, in the inaugural class of teaching professors here at IU Bloomington and is in the Department of Spanish and Portuguese. Mm-hmm. And we're really excited to talk to you, Virginia, about a lot of different topics here. First of all, how's it going? First first week of full week of summer? I can't keep track. Second week of summer? It's second. Second yeah. or third. Second, second week of summer yeah. session, I guess. So yeah, it's going it's going pretty well. Feels like things have slowed down a little bit. And now I'm just trying to get caught up <laughs> and ready for the fall semester already. So it's it's definitely an ongoing job. Yeah, somebody said the other day, Oh, isn't it so nice that you get summers off? And I think I literally laughed. I might have cried. No, I think I think I laughed. Um because it's like, yeah, I'm all, I'm also talking about fall and spring next year already. So I totally hear you kind of getting set up to go. Um so Virginia, I, I'm really interested in this inaugural class of teaching professors because I think it's super cool that you get to say that you're in the inaugural class, but also that there's a category, kind of the base, one of the large bases for teaching professor is pedagogical leadership. And I really am curious as to how you feel, like what, what your cornerstone of pedagogical leadership is. What, what do you do to demonstrate pedagogical leadership in the classroom outside supervisory role? Um, so as uh, I'm the assistant director of the basic language program in the department, which means that I oversee the 200 level. And so I collaboratively create the um, syllabi for the courses, um, select the textbook and create the course materials and kind of like oversee the pedagogy behind the 200 level and oversee the supervisors as well as the instructors and students. So that's leadership obviously within the department. Um, and also being part of FACET and being inducted into FACET class was also really helpful. Uh, when I went up for teaching professor, because uh, I was dem- I could demonstrate that I was also reaching outside of my departmental unit. Um, I also became a peer reviewer, which is something that I absolutely love. I love observing classes outside of my discipline because you get to see things that you will not see otherwise like how other disciplines are taught and you also get ideas that you can apply to your own courses and i also was part of um, content camp which was an effort from ohio state university and other universities to create open source material so i was lucky enough that i applied and i was selected to go to chicago and spend the weekend just creating open source spanish materials so that was also another way to reach um, outside of my unit And the other thing that I did for many years was um, coordinate the ACP program for Spanish um, at Indiana University. So I trained teachers in high schools to teach university level um, Spanish courses. So I taught, I um, coached them over the summer and I taught them how to teach at the university level. And then we had a, a yearly workshop in the spring where teachers came to campus and we visited classes together and we had like a review seminar. So, uh, and we also observed their classes to make sure that they were at that level that we needed them to be. Um, so those were like, things like my main, my main things that I presented as I was going up to teach a professor. 
So that's like like really nice wide variety uh, of activities. Um, and I want thank you for being a peer reviewer, by the way. I know people <laughs> who have had you go in and, and observe them, and they're just like, she is amazing. So oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we really appreciate that. And I know that the person that I'm thinking of right now really appreciated it too. And she, I think she made the. Um, facet as well she did she did yeah Yeah, and you really had to do that in a pinch (laughs) so (laughs) yeah yeah thank you so when you've gone in and and observed other people um you you just talked about you've learned some things when you've done that what's something that you've learned that that you've been able to pull into your own teaching um or that you've thought about pulling into your own teaching So this last class that I observed, the one that you just mentioned, um, I noticed she arranged students in groups and there was always one group leader that was the one that presented to the class and that role rotated every week. And she also rotated the groups every week. So I think that really helped create community. There was a really good relationship between the students and also between the students and the professor. So I thought that was really nice. I tend to keep my students in the same groups and um, I don't know why. I think it might be because I just got comfortable with doing that and students get comfortable with that. But I think it might be time. And that's something that I'm, something that I'm thinking about for the fall, um, just starting to rotate students a little bit more so that they can get to know each other beyond their like most immediate circle. Um, so that was something that I really appreciated and also how there were specific roles assigned to each person within the group. So there was a person that was collecting notes from everybody's comments And then that one person would present to the entire class as opposed to having like struggling to find volunteers, especially in my class, you know, to present to the class. So that I think that's something that I want to implement in my own classes so that they know that that's going to be their role for the day and so that they can be ready for it. And another thing that she did that I thought was really interesting, we use computers in our class because our students now have an e-text and she had students bring either written notes or printed notes on the readings that they had done at home. So they didn't have their computers open in the classroom. Um, And I thought that was really interesting because it forces them to stay on task. They cannot be doing other things on the computer. But at the same time, I wonder how and if that will work in my classes because they need to have access to the e-text because it's a language class. So that's something that I'm considering, but I, I haven't quite decided if it would work for me or not. But I, th- I thought it was definitely very interesting. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about that, the needing the computer for the e-text thing? Because I require my students to use computers in class as a um, tax professor where they have to go to the code, go to the tax law all the time. So how do you sort of create that, um, I guess, blended learning integration? How, how do they use their computers, inter- interact with the e-text while they're using their computers in the classroom? So we do some of the activities on the e-text in class. And what I've been doing lately is just take a screenshot of the activity and project it on the PowerPoint. So they don't have to, you know, use their computers. They can just look at the screen and complete the activity that way. But I do have students that take notes only on the computer or the iPad. So I just have to walk around to make sure that that's what they're doing and they're not doing something else. And something that I implemented this semester was a self-evaluation of participation. And one of the things that I asked them was how they use the technology in class and to like self-evaluate and give themselves a score based on how much they used it for class only versus for other things. And then if I noticed there was someone that, you know, was obviously texting or doing something else, 
I wrote that in my evaluation of their self-evaluation, you know, so they would know that I was aware of what they were doing. Um, other things that we do with the computers is use Google Docs in class. So say we're doing um, an activity in which they have to apply the grammar that we've seen in them writing maybe something together as a group. So in their group, they have a section of the Google Doc that they're typing in. And that way I can just project it on the screen and go over everything that they wrote with the entire class, um, as opposed to having them like come out to the whiteboard and you know write an entire paragraph, which doesn't, doesn't make sense um, at this level, yeah. Yeah, I love using the Google Docs. I like to put my whole class lesson on there and share that with everyone in the class. And they they will sometimes put individual comments on there. Sometimes I'll have them work in groups and and can and you know have group one and whatever work they're doing. And I, I just love that because it's uh, creates kind of like a it memorializes what you do in class, and they can always go back and and and, and look at that. I'm, okay, just because I know that so many faculty will ask this question, and it's a really low level question. Do you use points with your self-evaluations? Do, do you, you like mean? assign points? Like the students earn points for completing these? Is it worth a grade? Is it worth a grade? The Google, like, the self-evaluation. Self-evaluation. Yeah, I mean, they, they get a participation grade, but I wanted to see where they think they are with their participation. Because I think some people think they're at the A level, but the way I see how they're participating lower so i give them the criteria and i create a quiz in canvas that they just complete and they have to justify their score that they gave themselves with examples of what they do in class to earn that score and then i think i gave them like a point or two just for completing it just because i wanted them to complete it but you know it's not really going to change their grade too much right. but just enough to incentivize them to to complete it yeah. yeah, that's great. Um, so they, they feel like they need to do it and you can actually tell they have a clear picture of what they're really doing or not. And, and so mm -hmm. you actually you actually give them feedback on their self-evaluations. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And this is that's something cool. that I did just uh, based on what we're doing in the online classes. That's something that we started implementing in the online classes. And then I thought of doing that as a pre-midterm uh, participation grade, like three or four weeks in the semester just to see especially because I had a class that I was really struggling with in terms of participation. And no matter what I told them, like this is going to affect your participation. We have to speak in class. We have to communicate with each other. It was not working. So that was like a wake up call <laughs> when they saw where they were at that point. And from then on, it improved, not by a lot, but, but a little bit. Can you hey, give us every some... little bit counts. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Can you give us some context for the class sizes and, and structure that you're working with? Yeah. I mean, we talk a lot about um, in pedagogy, you know, scalability. So yeah, what size are your classes? They're 24. Okay. That's where they're capped. Sometimes we get 25, um, especially if we have like graduating seniors that need to take the class and there's no other spots they can take. So 24 is supposed to be the cap, but 25 happens sometimes, which for a language class, ideally they'd be capped at 15, right? But 24 is what we are working with. So yeah, okay. that's helpful. So I'm just listening to you talk about your teaching. Uh, it sounds like you you try a lot of different uh, things in your teaching, and you appreciate a lot of different things and about pedagogy. And um, I, I'm wondering, um, have you always been innovative in your teaching? And uh, what what made you kind of decide? I you know I want to be an innovator. I want to think about new new ways of doing things. I think I, I have not always been an innovator. I I was just thinking, I've been teaching for 21 years now. 
Um, I started as an AI at, in West Virginia University, and I think back of my, my first class, and I think, oh, those poor kids. Like, you know, <laughs> I just I moved from Spain to the U.S. and I was thrown into a classroom after a week of training. I had no idea what I was doing, but um, so it took me many, many years. I think um, I've always been interested in technology. I don't think I always had the tools until I got to Indiana University and I found Siddle and Siddle has been really crucial in how I teach now. And especially I signed up for the Course Design Institute. It was during the summer. I can't remember which year, but I was thinking of developing a translation course because that's what I studied as an undergrad. I did translation interpretation and I wanted to develop a translation course. So I just signed up for that and I learned about backwards course design. And so that's how I designed that course. And then after that, um, I did the that the institute again a few years later and then I also did the flipped classroom workshop over the summer uh, with Tracy and that it something just clicked like it made so much sense to teach a class in that way so I was lucky enough to be assigned to teach the honor section of S250 and I redesigned the entire course with backwards course design and I made it a flipped classroom as well because we teach classes that are multi-section, so we don't always have enough freedom to do what, what we would like to do in the classroom. But with this course, because it was specifically for honor students, I could kind of like design it the way I wanted to. So that's how I started. And then we slowly implemented that in all of the courses that we teach now, where we try to do flip, flip learning as much as possible. We have students interact with the material before they come to class, and we try to dedicate, dedicate class time more to... Um, communicative activities as opposed to like lecturing on grammar or vocab or stuff like that. So that's really interesting because I've also done a um, summer course development institute. It was a lot. It was like drinking from a fire hose, but also really, really helpful. And just to um, clarify for those listening outside of IU Bloomington, we're talking about the Center for Innovative Teaching and Learning at IU Bloomington, which is our sort of instructional design and other things center here. It's a fantastic resource. When you go through the backward course design process, which I, I do this as well, and it really confuses people when I say, hey, I designed backward. What are you talking about? How can you possibly do that? Can you walk me through your process of where you start and where you finish? What Say I'm gonna backward design this course, or I'm gonna convince somebody that this is a good idea. How does that process look for you? So first you would think like, what do I want my students to be able to do by the end of the semester? And what does my final project or my overall project need to look like for me to be able to see that they accomplish that goal? So you start with the course goal and then you design your major course assignment. And then from there you create smaller assignments, learning units that will ultimately take you to that final or that end goal. So for example, in my honors course, I had my students create a website over the semester, um, imagining that there were students coming to visit from a country in Latin America and they were going to study at Indiana University. So that website would have things that those students would need to know uh, to be successful at IU. And we had the themes because we also have a textbook that we have to follow. So I used the chapters as each one of those pages on the website. So they learned about health in the US. Um, we also did the environment. Um, we had entertainment and music. We also had the places around the city because this is a basic language class. 
And so over the semester, they had individual smaller assignments where students wrote essays or like handouts. They also did a video around Bloomington showing them their favorite places around town. And they put all of that together in the website at the end of the semester. That was their final project. So it was broken down in smaller units. And then within each one of those smaller assignments, we focused on what vocabulary do they need to know to complete this assignment? Which grammar can, you know, do they need to know to be able to express themselves uh, around these topics? So, and, and you did this as a flipped class. So um, I'm imagining that they're actually working on the website in class or what do you have them doing in class? So in, in class, we, well, at home, they would go over um, what we were going to be covering in class in terms of grammar, vocabulary. And then when they came to class, we discussed any like muddy points that they may have found because I gave them like small assignments to complete before coming to class just to check that they were interacting with the material. And then anything that I found that looked a little murky, we would just go over it in class and we would practice uh, with the context of that of that big theme that they were focusing on. And then they would write um, essays every once in a while because it was also had a writing component to it. And then they would took, take that writing it was also process writing where they would get feedback for the first draft and they would rewrite it and have a final draft and that final draft they would just pick from it uh, pieces to put on the website i okay. love the muddiest point um strategy <laughs> i think it's so cool it brings up of course confusion but also some super interesting questions that students have as they're absorbing the material that i would have never thought to incorporate into a class so i'm glad you brought that up that's one of my favorite strategies yeah i hear yeah. most of the time people doing that during class and so yeah. it's, it's interesting how you are taking it and saying okay go and look at your resources before class and show up with your muddy point, yeah. which I think that that's pretty I, cool. Yeah, that's what I do. I, just, I have them show up with it. And then yeah. I put a slide up about like, here's what you all said was confusing. Yeah. It's kind of yeah. like a press <laughs> conference press conference style. Yeah. yeah. And also at the end of class, another thing that I learned from Siddle was um, CATS, the classroom assessment techniques. Yeah. And just at the end of class, just give him like a um, an index card or like half of an index card. And like, what questions do you still have about what we'll cover today? Um, and then I would collect those questions. And usually what I do if I don't have enough time to go over them in class is just to create a discussion post in Canvas where I write the question and then all the answers that I, or oh, sorry, the questions that I received from students and the answers to those questions so they can all look at them. It's It sounds like you just have a very clear picture of how well your students are doing, how well they're progressing uh, throughout the semester. I mean, you're getting so much uh, evidence of kind of where they are uh, and 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 basically that I'm assuming allows you to really pinpoint um, activities that can help them achieve the goal that you've set for mm -hmm. the set for the class. So did, did, I'm kind of curious these um, websites, how are they used at the end of the semester, if at all? I mean, they're used for me to um, look at them yeah. <laughs> basically and 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 assign their their final grade. Um, okay. Okay, yeah. I was just kind of curious if you like yeah. made them available as cheat sheets for the for the yeah. future. Yeah, so I, that actually makes me feel curious about whether you've had students go on to actually use it somewhere else or, or yeah. give you feedback at all that anything, not just a website, but but sort of what feedback you've gotten that your students are using what you're doing, especially in this backward course design flipped classroom mentality beyond the classroom, even if you hear it from them like ten years later. Yeah, I I haven't heard of them doing anything with it. I've used 
some of the websites I've asked for permission to see if I could share them with the yeah. following semester coming up so they can look at examples. Because some students here, I'm going to create a website, they get really overwhelmed. And really, it's just Google Sites. It's it's really easy to use. And, and they've, they've all done pretty well with it. Yeah. So I'm curious about how you respond when a class isn't going well in the middle of the semester. Um, yeah. I know it's a tough question. It's hard, like, reflecting on spring. What happens if things are just, you said you talked about this difficult class you had and that small intervention you did. What do you do? I'm mad about the way stuff's going in class right now. Yeah, this this spring semester, and I think I've noticed it going kind of, like, getting a little worse um, after the pandemic. Um, and I don't know if it's apathy or if it was just because I had two classes and the first one, the 8 a.m. was really quiet. And then I went to my 9, 10 a.m. and they were the complete opposite. They just clicked. They got along well with each other. My first class, there was nothing. It seems that I could do to get them to interact. They would just sit on their phones, you know, before class starts. And then it was really hard to get them talking to each other, even though the activities you had to talk to each other <laughs> to complete them. Um, so I gave them the talk, you know, the talk like between inverted commas about participation and how important it is. You know, this is the only opportunity you have to be exposed to the language. Um, I feel like there's only so much that I can do, but there's probably more that I could do. I mean, I don't know, because then I try to like move them and have them in different groups and they didn't like that either. Um, so I got them back to their original groups, but they said they felt more comfortable there, but I don't know where that comfort was coming from because they were not really that <laughs> interactive with each other so comfort but, in air quotes yeah. <laughs> so i'm sure there's more than i can do and and that's why i was thinking about like the rotating the groups they having specific roles within the groups and seeing if that help that helps but i do think that every once in a while you just get a class that doesn't quite connect like the other ones do it's, I don't know what it is. It's really hard to get one of those types of classes too, especially if you find that out like in the middle of the semester where you're like, yeah. this is Does that just... happen to you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's usually like one section of, like you said, one yeah. my... Doing oh, the same thing, I'm doing three exact, sections yeah. in a row, and this, and this one. one. <laughs> just doesn't click. And you find that out kind of early in the semester. I mean, my intuition yes. is usually right about a class. I come home um, to our producer, my husband, and go, oh my gosh, my one o'clock class is about to be a dud. And the whole semester, I'm like... <laughs> Hanging on, yeah. So you're right. There's sort of the sense yeah. of like sort of. And I brought them chocolates because, like, every semester, you know, like when Valentine's Day or Those like food work. Halloween, I bring chocolates. Like nobody, even like two people, got chocolates out of the bag. I got to my second class and I was like, take it all, and they took it all. You know, yeah, like I don't. Yeah, I I, don't I bring chocolate on Valentine's Day too, and I've never had a class turn me down on that one. That's, <laughs> that's too far. That's a bridge too far. Yeah. So I think you bring up a good point though about sometimes you just need to accept classes are not always going to be motivated there you can you can do as much as you can but at some point you just have to go yep this is just going to be a class that um that doesn't go well and I, I also think you brought up an interesting piece here about it being a little bit more difficult to motivate students post-pandemic just getting them going getting them interested in the learning process after being on a screen for so long yes yes do you, <laughs> I, I agree I, I feel agree. like that has been a theme yeah. yeah I, and then the one day that we had to go online because of the snow, oh, you, yeah. could just, you could see their faces. They were not into it. I got to be honest, all. that day I, I knew that that was going to be a thing. And I said, take a snow day, 
go play in the snow. Be safe. Wow. Don't don't be dangerous. Here's your stuff that you have to do at some point before the weekend. I don't want to see you on Zoom. And that was exactly why, because just that feeling of, oh no, here we are, we're back again. Um, yeah, I can see it in my first grader's eyes too. I love teaching online. That's that's something that I've been trying to do for years. And uh, my department was not really convinced about it. And then we finally took all of our summer courses online because of low enrollments. And now the classes are full. And so I was in charge of developing I put myself in charge of developing all of the online courses because I really wanted to do it. I loved it. I also did a training over the summer with the CLE, the Center for Language Excellence. And um, so coincidentally, I was developing the courses when the pandemic started. So we had to pivot online, but I already had the skeleton so we could flip really quickly. So that was, we we got lucky (laughs) that way. Uh, But I love teaching online. I think my online courses went pretty well, but then I think if we had to flip like mid semester or like just for the one day that that was just a disaster. Yeah, totally agree. So when when you had that pivot um in 2020, you were ahead of the curve. And um, yeah. that's mm-hmm. that's that's really great. So um when you say you you had you had been designing, was this like mostly the canvas part of it or mostly the course design part of it like the applying the backward course design piece? Everything. All, okay, all of it. So um, what, what, what do you think the biggest difference was between your face-to-face approach and your online approach? Well, I had to um, figure out a balance as to how much work students would have to complete outside of class because we're not going to meet on Zoom every day like we do in a face-to-face course. We're going to meet a little less frequently. Uh, it was three classes instead of five. Over the summer, they would meet five days in a row but we're doing online only three times um, a week. So finding a balance of how much work they will have to do outside of class to still make it a three credit course. And also trying to add an oral component or something that would incentivize um, social interaction and social presence in the classroom. Um, So I started with some video diaries that students had to complete at the end of the unit, just answering a few questions where they would record themselves just speaking in Spanish. So that was the oral component. Um, now in the online courses, we've also had oral exams this semester. We just implemented them for the first time where students have their group conversation and then the instructor is just watching the conversation, which is what we do in the face-to-face classes as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so those were the major things as well, trying to find that good balance and also making sure that there's a a social presence and enough opportunities to participate and use the language in context. So on the the, the off days, the, so you had your synchronous days where you were all together, and then the, the off days, did were you looking for social presence on those days, or were they really just kind of off doing their own thing? Well, they're doing preparation in um, activities in looking at the content before so to be ready for the for the meetings on Wednesdays Fridays Thursdays and Fridays so they will have preparation work that's due on Tuesday evening and then meet Wednesday Thursday and Friday uh, but we also we started using C and post which I thought was a great tool and then it's become like widely misused by students um, where they're just posting to earn the seeds. <laughs> so yeah. um, uh, we're, we're rethinking that. I think we're going to eliminate it. We, we kept it for the face-to-face classes as well because it gave us an opportunity to introduce more culture outside of class and hoping that students will interact with the content that they 
instructor presents, but then what's happening is that they're waiting until the last minute to earn their seats and then, or they want to earn all of their seats during the first two weeks of the semester and they forget about it. So that was not the intention of what we wanted to do. And there's no way to like make it more gradual where you have several grades or like a certain amount of seats or points that you're trying to earn every week or every two weeks. So um, yeah, we just had to kind of like give up on it, even though it, it was such a great. I actually idea. really love CN Post, um, yeah. but I don't use the seeds. I instead I have um, a small section of my class will post about the reading, and then the rest of the class has to go in and and um, list questions and justify the questions uh, that that the posts provoke in their own minds. So mm -hmm. then we use those questions in class, and I just mm -hmm. make sure and it it seems to work pretty well um, for in, in my class, but um, I know a lot of people like to use the seeds <laughs> and they're, 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 I, I just never have tried it. Uh, I don't know why, but now when I'm listening to you, I'm like, I think I'm going to stay away from the seeds. I don't know. I started to say, that's what this transformative teaching podcast is all about is learning what to do and apparently what yeah. not to do. Yeah. Well, my that's idea of what you could do, you can change the settings for the seeds and yeah. you can make only specific things count. So right. you could make only replies count, like no, reposting no uh, liking you know so you can change how the seeds work but the problem is that you you once it's posted the seeds are added and you cannot the, you know it's not feasible for me to go in and check who's posted right. on what kind of post you know and like remove the other ones it would just take me forever so yeah, sort of economies yeah it was too. a great idea but i i wish it was more restricted and there was more thing more there were more things that we could do to to change the settings it would be kind of cool if you could if they developed it in a way where like the first post was worth a certain number the second post was worth a certain number the third post was worth a certain number and you, it could Oh, become yeah. higher sort and higher like, stakes um, uh, throughout the semester. I'm losing what it's called the scalable. Grade. Ali Jafari, in case you're listening, this is <laughs> this is a this is a a great idea. <laughs> yeah, the, the, sort of a, a kind of a scalable yeah. grading system. That's wow, Virginia. We've learned a lot today. Yes, and indeed. Really appreciate how much you've shared with us about your, um, especially about your course design and what you're doing right now to be innovative in the classroom. It's been really fun to chat with you. And um, oh, like why? I said, are you on the fast retreat? That's a bad question. Uh, no, not this year. Uh, it's okay. Yeah, it's my first year. We're gonna we're gonna eighty six that from the conversation. No, yeah, I'm kidding. Well, <laughs> edit that out. Edit that I was out. there the last one before the pandemic hit. So uh, <laughs> yes, um, yeah, it's my first one, and I've. Yeah, I'm getting ready to go to Spain, and oh, yeah. I've got much to do. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Where are you going? In Spain. I'm going home, a and home? then oh, to the okay. beach once, once I'm there. So I'm really excited, and that's I'm awesome. Going to the beach with my family, so I get to spend time with them, and. Um, just relax. Hopefully, not do any any work while I'm there. Seriously, yeah. Don't take yeah. your computer. Just no. <laughs> leave it at home. Leave it at home. Well, thank you again so much for joining us. Um, thank Virginia Hoas Carmenal, Department of Spanish and Portuguese at IU Bloomington. Class of 2019. Class of 2019. Facet. Yes. Thanks, Virginia. <laughs> Have a great day. Thank you. you too.